ancient words ever true. Praise the Lord that he has given us his word and he has preserved it for us. And this morning, take your copy of the scriptures and go ahead and open them to the second chapter of Acts. Acts chapter 2. We're really continuing from last week, but we're launching a new series that we're going to study in Acts chapter 2. Focused on... We are the church. What it means to be the church of God. Some of you know, some of you do not, but I'm an amateur radio operator, ham radio. I don't know if you're familiar with that terminology or not. But it is a network of community where we work on radios, we communicate with radios, we do not broadcast. It's not a broadcast type thing. We communicate. And there's no such thing as a private conversation on amateur radio. Just wanted to make you aware of that in case you might think there is but uh, whenever you're talking particularly if you're talking on a local repeater everyone who has the radio on can hear your conversation i mention that because i want to share a little bit of a conversation that i heard this week we have a gentleman who is about 82 years old lives up in greer he's an amateur radio operator ham he uh, he is having some work done on his antennas and so you need to have appropriate antennas, and they need to. There's a lot that goes into that it's from from the uh, technological aspect of it. And so, at 82 years old, he didn't want to climb the tower by his house, and so he had invited a couple of guys to come and help. And one of the guys that and they were talking on the radio. I was listening to the conversation. One of the guys said, "Well, I I can be there. I'll just need to let my Sunday school group know that I'm going to miss the activity we had planned." And the older guy in Greer said, you're disinvited. You cannot come help on my antenna. And the guy said, wait, wait it's, it's really not that big a deal. It's just a church activity. And the older guy said, buddy, there is nothing more important in this life than being a part of a church and connected with it and staying connected with it. And if it's a choice between you being a part of a church activity and climbing my tower, you go to church. I'll get some pagan to climb my tower. Some heathen, I think he said. I'll, I'll get, he said, I'll get, I'll get somebody else to climb my tower. You go to church. Now, I want to contrast those two attitudes for just a moment. Too many times, my attitude, our attitude is just church. Now, I'm not talking about a calendar or a schedule. I want you to understand, we're, we're going far deeper than just going to a church meeting. I'm not saying that if you miss a church meeting, you're out of God's will. I want you to understand that, all right? But I want you to understand, we're talking about what it means to be the church of God, what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. We're looking at the power of the church. This whole series is, we are the church. We're looking at the launch of the church today to get our historical basis and our historical grounding for who we are. But there are kind of two approaches to this. One is to be a part of the church, active and functioning, following, being obedient to God, and all that that means is vital, important, may be, and should be the single most important thing that identifies us as our identity and how we establish our priorities. While another group is, well, it's just church. You know, if I miss one, there's another one, or if I don't do this, or if I don't do that, and it's a very casual, or I would call it simply a lower view of church. Now, please understand me. I'm not talking about simple calendar. I'm talking about the way that we live our lives and the way that we prioritize the things that we do. Are we clear? And so we need to make sure that we have a firm understanding of what the church is. We're going to go through the book of Acts, and we're going to look at what it means to be the church established by Christ. And we're going to start in Acts chapter 2. Today we're just going to cover verses 1 through 13. 
But I want to set the stage, because you remember where we have been. The disciples have seen Jesus crucified. It was just 50 days ago. Less than two months. The disciples were in fear of their life. Then the disciples went to the tomb and found it empty. And then Jesus, the resurrected Christ, in His resurrected body, appeared to them. And they saw Him. Matter of fact, Thomas wasn't there the first time he appeared, and he said, I'll believe it when I see it. And Jesus showed up and said, here, look, touch, see. And he ate with them, and he fellowshiped with them, and he spent about 40 days with them and the larger group of disciples, instructing them, teaching them, talking to them about the kingdom of God. Luke picks up in Acts chapter 1, and he talks about that last encounter where they go to the Mount of Olives. The disciples are there. Jesus is there. He tells them to stay in Jerusalem. Don't go back home. Stay in Jerusalem. He's been with them for about 40 days. Stay in Jerusalem and pray and wait on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so he's talking about this massive transition that takes place. Number one, the Holy Spirit's no longer just with them. He will be in them. He will be poured out in them. There's an indwelling. Same Holy Spirit from creation. Active since creation, but the way we relate to Him henceforth has been changed forever, as we'll see in Acts chapter 2. He indwells and fills and seals the hearts of the believers. Their relationship to their mission has changed. Before it was to be a light that kind of attracts people, now it is to be salt and to go out into the neighborhoods and into the communities and to compel. And we'll see that their first mindset is simply the Jews in Jerusalem, but the Lord changes that in Peter's mind. And, he ch- and of course, Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentile. And praise the Lord, aren't you glad, all of us Gentiles in here, aren't we glad that God has opened the kingdom of God? Whosoever will. Whosoever he calls and summons, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people. And we'll get a taste of that in this. And so now they've come back and they're in Jerusalem. They're being obedient. They replace Judas with Matthias. And they're in this upper room and they're praying. And that's where we pick up when the day of Pentecost arrived. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived. Now, Pentecost was one of the four major Jewish festivals on their annual Jewish calendar. It was 50 days after Passover. Jesus was crucified Passover weekend, you remember. And this is 50 days later. The Pentecost is, uh, is named Pentecost because it means 50 days. Uh, it's all, in the Old Testament, Exodus 23 called the Feast of the Harvest. And Exodus 34 is called the Day of the First Fruits there and in the book of Numbers. Uh, There are specific ways that they worship. One of the things that you need to know is that this is one of those celebrations that involves a a pilgrimage. This is a trip. You pack and you come to the temple. And so Jerusalem is packed with people. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, these are the disciples, the 120 that we talked about in chapter 1, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting now imagine this you've been in a in a in a auditorium listening to a speaker and the mic goes off and it just squeals and drives you nuts you, you guys can relate to that this is more than that this is people gathered together on their face in the throne room of god praying seeking god's will seeking god to come 
waiting patiently, begging God to move and act, united in hearts, united in their prayers, and just a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. A miracle thing that's taking place here. This is, uh, this is an audible sign that something unusual happened. And you can use like a mighty rushing wind. I don't think their hair was blowing and their clothes were flapping. I don't think the wind blew. It was a sound that identified something. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them. So not only do we have this audible miracle, now we have a visible miracle. Matter of fact, these tongues as of fire not only appeared to them, it came to rest upon them. Again, a sign, a miraculous sign, visible and audible, that this is not a normal occurrence, that God's doing something different and new. And of course, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This new relationship with the Holy Spirit that they already knew because He had been with them, now He was in them. What had been promised was now coming to fruition. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in other tongues. That's simply other languages. As the Spirit gave them utterances. So they were given new abilities. They were given the ability to do something that they could not do apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit. And this is what I want us to start to see again with fresh hours today. The wonder of the church, an institution that has been at times hard to differentiate between any other group, any other club in the world. When the church is not being the church of God, we're just, we're just, we're just like everybody else. We lack the power of God. We, we, we lack the impact that God has, intends for us to make. But the church yielded to God, the church obedient, the church filled with the Spirit and not grieving the Spirit of God is a unique body. It's a unique organism, according to the New Testament. The church is something so much more than we tend to give it credit for. And that's, that's really where we want to start. So point number one on your outline, if you're taking notes, is simply we need to recognize the power of the church. Now, many of you who have been in business or have been working or have been to trainings, you, you're familiar with the word synergy. You familiar with the word synergy? It is when you get different groups, different, different individuals, and you come together, differing gifts, and, and you're able to do more corporately than you can do individually. I want you to understand that I'm not talking about a synergy of people. We're doing more than pooling abilities as the church of God. Do you understand that, right? We're doing more than congregating people, recruiting for talent or for resources. We're doing more than simply cooperating together to accomplish some sort of mundane goal. We are the people of God, transformed by the Holy Spirit of God, indwelt by the Spirit of God. And the power that the church has is not the power of each individual, even compounded or conflated with the power of other individuals. It's the power of the Spirit of God that indwells you and indwells me, coming together, moving and working. And God does what we cannot do. He unfailingly does what we cannot do. We, the whole call to follow Christ, to live righteously, to honor God with our thoughts, to honor God with our lips, to honor God with our hands. We can't do that apart from the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Do I have an amen? Would you agree with that? If you're confused about that, go to Romans chapter 3, spend some time there, and you will find that the whole purpose of the law is to demonstrate our inability to fulfill it. 
to let us know that we are without excuse before a holy God. And we need redemption. We need cleansing. We need being made new. We need power that we don't have. And what Acts 2 shows us is now God has taken His power, the Holy Spirit's personality and presence, and He places it into believers. The power is to do something we cannot do. God's power in us. And the second is simply the power to change lives. The power to open the eyes of the blind. Dave was talking this morning about the call is for unity. But the idea of unity at any cost is not a scriptural idea. You understand that. Now we're to be unified. The Bible talks a lot about unity, particularly as the people of God. But we're to be unified in our devotion to Christ. Uh, We're to be unified in our devotion to ancient words ever true. God's holy word that he has written and preserved to us. Not that we worship the Bible. I got accused of that a couple of weeks ago. Still makes me mad. Sorry. Not that we worship the Bible. You understand that? We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God that only the Bible reveals. That only the Bible gives us the information about. And so that's why we come and have high confidence in the Word of God and God's power working through us. He has the power to change lives, to open the eyes of the blind, like the woman at the well. John chapter 4. Like the woman at the well, who was a Samaritan, who was caught up in sin looking for fulfillment in physical and in relationships and yet she discovered christ and he opened her eyes and she she gave her life to him and he gave her living water that sprung up from in her the the water of life like nathaniel the skeptic in the gospel of john sitting under the tree when philip went to get him can anything good come from nazareth i don't think so and jesus says, well buddy i saw you under the fig tree before Philip even came to get you, he says, Whoa, you're the Christ. Is this an emotional guy or what? That's all it took. <laughs> and Jesus says, Slow down. Don't let this simply be an emotional response. You're going to see more and no more of me. Matter of fact, he describes Jacob's ladder. Uh, the, the, what we see in the Old Testament, in, in the book of Genesis, you'll see angels ascending and descending. I am the way is what he's telling him. And you'll see that more fully and more completely. It is no secret we live in a fallen world. And I have such a hard time dealing with in my own mind sometimes. Comments by people that I'm convinced mean well, but uh, their comments don't end up adding things. Do y'all go online and do things like Fed it, uh, what is it called? Face, Facebook and uh, Reddit? Is it Reddit? And so. I'm not the only one, right? You guys know some of these some of these apps, okay? Uh, I I I have been looking up some things, and sometimes when I get, I'm doing more and more of my research, by the way, now electronically with resources that are available online, it is a great tool. But I got to tell you right now, you got to be really cautious where you go. And I will see a theological statement prepared by a man that I have immense respect for, a current theologian, and he will make a very clear statement. And I'll think, buddy. He has nailed it. And then I start to read the opinions of people who come after it. And I think, buddy, they don't know anything at all. And they ridicule and they mock and they denigrate and they accuse. And, and, and I have to tell you that I have to stop and say, Lord, Lord, you need to check the attitude of my heart. Please check the attitude of my heart. I want the attitude of my heart to glory, you know, to give glory and to honor you. But right now, my flesh just wants to straighten them guys out. 
And I look at what is, what is going on in the world and in the mindset and in our country and in our contemporary secular society, and I have to tell you, we can't do anything about it that has lasting eternal consequences except for or apart from the power of God who can open blind eyes, who can soften hardened hearts, who can bring people from darkness to light, who can bring people from death to life. And folks, Jesus began to do His work in His body. He ascended. The Holy Spirit has descended and dwelt us. And His work continues. And we're it. We are the vehicle. Now, He didn't have to have us. He's not dependent upon us. But He has chosen to place His Holy Spirit within us and to make us salt and light, to make us to be witnesses unto Him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. When the people of God gathered together in mutual love, support, and encouragement, and with correction and obedience to God's Word, seek God through prayer, Hearts and lives united before the throne of God, dependent upon Him to direct our paths and to guide our prayers and to give us our directions for the journey that we're on, then we can see the power of the church, which is the power of God on behalf of His church, in His church, through His church, on display. And that's just the first four verses. The power of God on display, miraculously demonstrated miracles, miraculously demonstrated, audibly the sound as of or like a mighty wind, visibly tongues as of fire descending and then resting on the disciples who are gathered. And verse 5 continues this, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. Now, again, it was Pentecost. So it was celebration time. It was worship time. It was actually Feast of the Harvest sacrifice time 50 days after Passover. And those who would make this journey would be the devout ones, the ones who were committed to their faith. And they came, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the sound of the mighty rushing wind, the multitudes came together and they were bewildered. Good word. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, don't you understand that that word is language. The language that they were raised in that was culturally appropriate, their own dialects, the apostles were supernaturally, these disciples, the 120, were supernaturally gifted to be able to speak in a language they had not studied and they had not learned. When we talk about the power of the church on display, we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit of God on display, here's another example how God is establishing His credibility before the people. Verse 7, And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these people speaking Galileans? Aren't they from the north? Aren't they from Cana and Capernaum? And this was not pejorative. They weren't saying, oh, these stupid Galileans. They weren't saying that. They were simply saying, people from Galilee aren't known to be world travelers. People from Galilee aren't known to be philosophers and linguists and those who would be well acquainted with all of our language. And here we are, and we hear them speaking as though they were native. Verse 8, How is it that we hear each of us In his own language. Now, again, we'll come back to this in a moment, but Dave read from the Tower of Babel, and this is pretty cool, I think. It's hard not to contrast this. Tower of Babel. Uh, It's hard not to contrast this 
with, uh, with, with the, the passage that he read. When people were turning their back against God and rebelling against God and seeking to place themselves above God by building this Tower of Babel, God confused their speech so they could not understand and they were scattered and populated the earth. Here, the God is establishing His church at this point in history and they all speak different languages and what does He do? He enables His Word to be shared so that everyone can understand His Word. A miracle, a miracle. Now, who are these people that are here? Verse 9, well, they're Parthians and they're Medes, and they're Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, and Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and all the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, even from the West, visitors from Rome. They were devout Jews, they were devout proselytes who were Gentiles, who had accepted or become a part of the Jewish faith. They were from the Isle of Crete. They were Arabians. And they say, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Why such a list? What's the point that he's making in this list? That it's a worldwide outreach. That they're having an impact through the whole world. All the way from as far west as civilization went to as far east as civilization went all the way to Africa, Asia, Central Europe, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, the known world was impacted at this point in time. And it's more than just, let's speak common Greek so that everyone understands it. Everyone's hearing in their own language. Another example of God's power, His gifting of these apostles, the ability to speak languages they had not studied, to relate to cultures they had not visited They have a worldwide impact. Now, this is a miracle. And we tend to think, well, the Bible's just full of miracles. No big deal, right? But, and I think this is accurate. I did some additional study, and I'm pretty sure this is right. We have less than a hundred times in recorded Scripture where God actually intervened to break natural and physical law. And they tend to be grouped. They're grouped around the, the prophets. Uh, they're grouped around the coming of Christ. They're grouped around the establishment of the church and his unique gifting for these apostles to establish his cred- their credibility. And what these miraculous works do is they give bona fides to the message that's being delivered that this is from God. Both in the Old Testament and in the New. These are God intervening in history in miraculous ways to demonstrate the credibility of his messenger, the reality of his presence, and the uh, accuracy and veracity of his words. They looked around and they said, how can this be? How is it that this is taking place? And what is the answer to that question? It can be because God wills it to be. It can be because this is something that's beyond us. It can be because the power of God is on display here, giving bona fides to the message or credibility to the message that is being delivered. The Gospels, the apostles, excuse me, were gifted to do miracles to establish their credibility as part of their ministry. You remember when Jesus sent out the 72? And he said, you're going to be able to do signs and wonders and people are going to ask and you, you point them to me. In Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says, in, in giving a brief testimony, he says, I won't venture to, tell, to speak of anything except Christ, except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. The Apostle Paul, the missionary to the Gentiles. 
And when he talks about what Christ has accomplished, he says, both by what I said and by what I've done. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, and the impact of that was from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, he had fulfilled the ministry of his gospel there. Further in 2 Corinthians, when he's talking about the establishment of the church even, he says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience. What were those signs? How did God place his stamp of approval and say, yes, this one's mine? With signs and wonders and mighty works. You guys remember, and I think the, the record I remember of it most frequently is, or most, most readily is Mark chapter 2, where there was a man who was a paralytic and he had four friends and they picked him up and they carried him to the roof of the house where Jesus was teaching. You guys remember that story? It's a great story. It's, and it's, it's not made up. It's, it, it's a true event. Jesus was in there. They couldn't get him in, so they climbed up on the roof of the house. They tore open a hole. They lowered him down before Christ. And Jesus looks at him. Of course, the conversation goes on, what would you have me do? And he's talking to this man. And he looks at him and says, because of your faith, because of the faith of your friends, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Here's what he's saying. Man, I'm going to make you new. I'm going to do something that only God can do. I'm going to make you right with God. Your sins are forgiven. Well, the religious leaders who were in the house, how did they respond? You remember? Who is this who pretends to forgive sins? He can just announce this and think it's done. And so Jesus said that you may know in order to give credibility to the message, in order to put on display the inward reality, he looks at the man and says, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And the man gets up. We have a physical miracle that gives credibility to the message that Christ had delivered. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so, that is part of what's taking here in the book of Acts, chapter 2, which takes us to the second point. We need to celebrate the divine origin of the church. The church is not... Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel and Bartholomew, Thomas Didymus, Jude, uh, James the Lesser. These guys in Matthias, they didn't get a group and say, Hey guys, let's start a new group. We'll be the Jesus followers. We've already got us. We'll be the executive committee. You be the treasurer. Judas is gone. We need another one. You be the president. I'll be the vice president. We'll form a constitution by laws. And I'm not saying those are bad things. Here's what I want you to know. The church is not a human institution. It was not established by humanity. It was established by the Lord Jesus Christ. It was enabled by the Spirit of God. It was the will of the Father who made the church what it is. And we tend to just blow blow it off what does it mean to be the church what does it mean to be a part of the family of god we we really got to get more of a grasp it means to be a follower of christ in relationship with other followers of christ in order that my life pleases god every day in order that my life accomplishes his purpose every day in order that every morning i can wake up and focus my attention upon him in order that as i go throughout my life my life puts on display the message of the gospel and the love of christ as a witness to others we celebrate the divine origin of the church it had been prophesied it had been foretold jesus had prepared his disciples the church is part of god's eternal plan 
this group of guys. <laughs> and, and we've made reference to them. I've got to tell you, I think they're quality people. I want you to understand. We tend to talk bad about Peter. We certainly tend to talk about James and John, the sons of thunder and flying off the handle. Uh, we like Andrew. You know, he, He's the evangelist in the group. He went and got Peter that started this whole thing. Thomas, he was just a doubter. We, we tend to, Levi, he was a collaborator. Simon, he was a zealot. He was a, a nationalist and that was his priority. But we tend to kind of blow off these guys as, as just, just failures. But I believe these were good men and women. Jesus' mother and the other women that were with him. I believe that they were, and I say good, I mean followers of Christ committed, wholly devoted to Him. And they were committed to continuing His work. And He took these people that from the world's perspective would say, these guys don't have much to offer, and they turned the world upside down. As a matter of fact, you in this place, as a part of this body, are part of the fruit of what God did in and through them. It's important that we recognize the divine origin of the church. But can I mention something else really quick? This period that we're in begins, the church age begins with the coming of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, which we're studying right now, but it's going to come to an end. There is coming a day when the role and the function of the church as being on mission for Christ is going to come to an end. The Lord Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back in power and strength. He's going to establish His kingdom. I won't take the time to take you there. Well, yeah, I will. Just turn the page. Acts chapter 3. <laughs> Acts chapter 3. We'll start in verse 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, what did God foretell? That is, Christ would suffer. He thus fulfilled. He's talking about the first advent, the first coming of Christ right there. So the prophecy that the Messiah would come, he says it's, it's fulfilled. His Christ came and his Christ suffered. Repent. Here's the call. You're to repent, therefore, and turn back. Why? Because you're, you're separated from God by your sin. If you repent and come back to God, your sins will be blotted out. And what will happen? The times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord that He may send, send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Now, when is this? Now we're talking about another coming of Christ, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. And you can continue reading that to get more in the text. What I want you to understand is Christ has come. Christ is coming. Yes? Are you with me? Christ has come and Christ is coming. And we're in the between. And we live in a fallen world. And we are to be His witnesses. And this is the function of the church. To give testimony. To worship God. To love Him. To do all that Scripture commands. But to give testimony to the grace and the gospel of God. And so I want us to just turn back to Acts chapter 2 and let's read those last two verses. Verses and verses 12 and 13. We'll tie this in to the text we just read. And all were amazed. What were they amazed at? They were amazed at the sound of the rushing wind. They were amazed at the disciples, everyone speaking 
and everyone hearing in their own languages. And there was quite a mix of language and peoples. And they were in a crowd, probably in the outer courtyard, there in the temple. And all were amazed and perplexed. So they've been bewildered. They've been uh, standing in wonder and gazing in wonder. And, and they are perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? There are those who are open and receptive to the message. What does this mean? What's the point? What's going on? What do we need to know? And they're seeking. They want, they're open. But then there are others who are mocking. And they said, ah, they're just filled with new wine. These guys are drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. They're just rambling. They're just talking nonsense. This is just something else that's going on. You don't need to pay any attention to it. The third point on your outline is that God uses us to expand the reach of the church. In Jerusalem, he brought them there at Pentecost, the same time that he poured out his Holy Spirit. And they're from everywhere, different languages and different cultures. And God used these people to speak truth to them, to speak the gospel, to speak of the mighty works of God, the things of God to that environment and that culture so that they understood it. When you and I are engaged in evangelism, and I know We've been talking about a lot of evangelism, but I'm going to tell you, every time the Scripture talks about it and we're studying the Scripture, we're going to talk about it. And we can come up with a thousand excuses why we aren't more intentional about it, why it's hard, why it's awkward. But I want you to understand. Listen to me. We are the church of the living God, indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, given a commission by the Son of God, in order to honor and bring glory to God the Father, to a world that has forgotten or rejected God. We're given an impossible task, and then we're given the power to be able to do it. So we celebrate the power of the church and we remember it. We celebrate that it is not simply our idea. It is is well beyond our idea. It is of divine origin to accomplish God's purpose in the world. And what we do and don't do makes an impact for eternity. Why do we exist? Why do we exist? And, And I get this. We love to be part of a group where we have relationships and people love us and we love people. Don't we? It is great to be part of the family of God. It is great to know that there are people out there who think of me and pray for me, who will encourage me and lift me up. It's great to know that there are people out there who when I am struggling will come alongside of me, who I get to come alongside of and invest my life in. I love it as Christians love on one another, don't you? But I want you to understand that even that is a testimony to the world. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love, one Toward another. Even the care that we give to each other has an external impact. And our tendency is to care for the flock that are in the fold and neglect the ones that have not come in yet. And what we must do is to ask God to lead us to 
to provide those opportunities, to make us sensitive to the thousands of opportunities that He provides week by week and month by month to be faithful, to expand the reach of the church by proclaiming His gospel. Some will listen. Some will listen. Some will listen. Some will listen. You may have to go through 40 who won't before you get to the one who will. Don't let that discourage you. Because what is the goal for us? The goal for us is obedience. The goal for us is to please God. What did they do? What was their methodology? What was, and we're going to look more at this as we go through the book of Acts. But, but what was their strategy to add 3,000 on the first day? That'd be pretty good, right? What was their strategy to add 3,000 on the first day? They proclaimed the word, trusted the Holy Spirit of God, were obedient to Him. And the Lord added to the church. We obey. God adds. Just a few things to consider as we close this sermon. We depend upon God's power. The Spirit even gives us the word to say. Here's one of the things that I get a lot. And I, trust me, I understand it. I, I, I get it. I get it from personal experience. Is you don't want to mess up when you're talking to somebody about Jesus. I mean, great goodness. You know, you, you forget somebody's name. You, you, you have a conversation. You get some facts wrong. That's no big deal. But when you're talking to somebody about Jesus, you want to get it right. You sure don't. You know, that kind of raises the bar. You don't want to mess up. Can I, can I give you just something that will let you take a deep breath? The same Holy Spirit that gave them guys a language that they did not learn will enable you to say the things that He needs for you to say. What He wants from you is willingness and obedience. The same Holy Spirit that brings to remembrance the thing that these guys were going to say when they stood before the Sanhedrin and when Paul stood before Felix and Augustus in Rome, that same Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance the things that you need to say. And if you can't talk at all, you just stumble, stumble and make noises, I'm going to tell you right now, I believe this. You can trust the Holy Spirit that He'll make them hear what He wants them to hear. And so the message that we have, we need to be true. Don't give a false gospel. Give a biblical gospel. But the message that we have, we need to be willing to share. The Spirit gives us the words to say and controls the words they hear. Some will receive. And here's my, here's my big concern, guys. That we're, that we're missing low-hanging fruit. If you don't ask, if you don't engage in conversation... If you don't just start the conversation to see where people are, we're missing low-hanging fruit. Fruit that the Lord says, here, I want you to harvest this for me. The fields are wide end to harvest. Here, I've prepared. Here, I've called. Here, I've convicted. Here, somebody else has planted and somebody else has watered. And we need to be prepared, at the very least, to harvest those that the Lord is bringing and to be used by Him for that, for His glory. But regardless of whether they accept or reject, our reward is our obedience, trusting in God to accomplish His purpose. Isn't God good? We need to, we need to recognize the power of the Holy Spirit because that's the only power that the church has that will change a life. We need to celebrate the fact that the church isn't some, some good plan or good idea or simply a strategy. It is part of God's eternal plan. And we need to keep an eye out. Keep an eye out. Maybe that's not the best word. We need to keep our ears open and our hearts sensitive and prepared to be used by God 
at every opportunity to be witnesses of him, of the kingdom of God. Now, we'll talk more about that. Next, we're going to look at Peter's sermon, a sermon on a sermon. How about that? So go ahead and read it. Next week, we'll, and we'll look at the Joel, the Old Testament prophet. But we'll look at more about that. But again, the whole goal of this is to give us a biblical understanding of what it means to be the church of, church of God. God's plan for bringing glory to himself. God's plan for reaching the world with the gospel. Do you feel the weight of it? Do you feel the joy of it? Do you feel the excitement of being a part of a movement that's been around for over 2,000 years that has changed countless lives and we've got our role to play in it. Father, thank you for your goodness and the many ways that you express your goodness to us. The kindness that you have bestowed upon us in Christ accomplishing what only God can do. The grace that you have bestowed upon us in forgiving our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. The fact that you make us dwelling places for you, for your Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, the, the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us. Help us to not overlook the, our power, the power that the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is at work in us. That's amazing. And yet we just blow it off. So make us aware of it. Father, help us to 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 recognize that this is your work, that you're accomplishing your work in us through us. You establish the church. And you sustain the church. And help us not to forget that our internal connections always lead to an external impact for your glory. In your name I pray. Amen.